I don't know if you've ever been picked last for a, uh, a uh, kickball team. Uh, the last one picked on the playground for something, uh, or you have gone through a time maybe in your life where you've experienced that bad news from the doctor. Uh, you went in thinking, eh, you know, you have some little hiccups in your get along, but you come to find out that no, you've got a big problem that's inside of you and that you didn't know was there. Uh, or you've faced a job loss or and again, the list can go on and on. Uh, it, it could be the relationship that you started that would, you thought would never end has ended. And you're, you're sitting here even today thinking to yourself, how in the world do I manage in, through this, uh, this time? And I'm on the down and out. And uh, I'm on that, that downward spiral and I don't know when the bottom's going to hit. That may be you today and it may be you tomorrow, but it will be you someday. It's all of us at some point in our life. And this is what I want to say to the down and outs today. That is not your status. That may be your season, but that is not your status. You may be right now in that season of wondering, when am I going to get out of this? Is there going to be hope on the other side? And I just want to speak words of encouragement to you that the down and out is for a season especially if you can course correct any areas that you have added and brought to this. Now, I want to talk to you today about how we can bring a message of hope to the down and out. And maybe today you just need to receive this message, okay? It's not even you passing it on. But guess what? You will have that opportunity to pass it on because it's not your status. It is your season. Last week we talked about the all-togethers and, and uh, Taylor alluded to that, that, that the all-togethers were the Nicodemus out there. I mean, he has a name. He has a position. He has a title. He's, he's one of the select few. He's, he is of the upper echelon of the society in his day and age. And so you look at Nicodemus or you look at Nick and you go, that guy's got it all together. But what does he do when he encounters Jesus? Is Jesus engages him in this conversation, and in that conversation, he goes from being all together to not so all together. He starts beginning, and how it happens, and just in a quick review, is what Jesus did in that engaging conversation is he created some space for disequilibrium. That's a really important thing because those who have it all together, they look good on the outside, they smell good on the outside. When you get around them, they know how to put on the smile and they know how to present and they know how to carry, they're charismatic and all that kind of stuff. They got it all together so it appears. And until there's some disequilibrium in their life, they probably will continue to believe that lie. And that's a lie. Because all of us, on some form or fashion, don't have it all together. Nicodemus, for example, he knew about Jesus, but he did not know Jesus. He did not know him in an intimate, life-giving kind of way. And so that was a part of the disequilibrium that was created in that. So also, then it leads to stirring of questions. With that all-together person, you just got to start stirring some questions and start creating some opportunities. If you remember, Nicodemus came with statements, but he left with questions. He came having it all figured out, but he left saying this statement, the last words we hear, how can this be? 
And you kind of got to get to that point in your faith journey where you got to ask, how can this be? I, this doesn't make sense. I'm trying to reconcile this. I'm trying to make, bring it all together. How can this be? And that's exactly what Jesus did when he created that disequilibrium. And then that third component you have no control over when you're engaging them. But it's very important to understand that you anticipate the winds of the Spirit. To blow in that situation, to be present in that reality, you're not going into it alone. You are going into it called by God, anointed by God, empowered by God with his presence in you. You are not sharing, engaging in in these spiritual conversations alone. And the beautiful thing is we never know, we just never know when the winds of the Spirit are going to blow. And even today, I believe the winds of the Spirit are going to blow across this room. Last week, it was beautiful to hear of Tom and Ashley who prayed with two of our deacons, one with our deacon and one with with one of our deacon wives uh, after our services who prayed and and received Christ into their life. And the lights are turning on in their soul. And what a beautiful thing to just know the winds of the Spirit are blowing and it's still blowing today. So where is he going to blow today and who is he going to blow across today? This is what it says in John chapter 3 where we were last week. The wind blows where it wishes. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And we're talking about being born of the Spirit last week. And that's just a, uh, just a reminder to us that we need to go with the Spirit. And that, what does that Spirit, what does it feel like? And I hate to use that word feeling, but it, there is a feeling. I'll tell you, this is about the best way I can explain it. You feel like this is right I'm hearing something here, and what I'm hearing is truth. This is something I can bite down on, but it also you're hearing that I've got to see change. There's going to be some rearranging in my life. There's going to be some changes in my life. So what that spirit does is he comforts and he convicts all at the same time. And then you'll know that the spirit is blowing across your life. That's the all togethers. Let's talk about the down and outs today. And this week, as we talk about the down and outs, I really want you to enter into this story. Because we're going from a named person to a status person to a person who had recognition and and honor and fame in his own right when we're talking about Nicodemus. He's at one end of the spectrum, but we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum today to a nameless Samaritan half-dog woman who herself is not even recognized in her own community. That's how bad she had it. One end of the spectrum to the next. A named man, a nameless woman. I want us to enter into her story. Because some of y'all are in that down and out moment of your life. It's like, I just don't, I can't even recognize my name. I don't like my situation. Or you know people like that. The way you Halter put it, he put it like this. He says, look more deeply at this woman. Stare at her longer while you do. Consider these facts. She is the daughter of someone. She has dreams just like you. She has fears just like you. She desires to be valued and cared for. And all over the world, there are millions of women just like her are abused, raped, exploited, 
because men settle for base animal lust over redeemed human identity. Can you enter in to a down and out story today? Take your Bibles and be finding the book of John, John chapter 4. I want us to read the entire story because I don't want you to miss any of it. And this will be a familiar story to most of you. Um, But as you listen to the story, uh, engage in it, enter into her story as best you can. Here we go. Now, when Jesus learned in verse 1, chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard uh, that, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Jesus' ministry is on the rise. John is on the decline. But that's okay because John was all about promoting Jesus. You can read that in John 3, verse 30. But here we keep going. Although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left uh, Judah and departed again to Galilee. So think about it for a moment. Judah is in the south. Galilee is to the north. He's going from, uh, from south to north. And he had to pass through Samaria. Hang on to that phrase. He had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob given to his son Joseph. So this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This goes all the way back to Genesis. This is a very historical place that is still there today that you can go and visit the well of J- or Jacob's well, the, this place uh, where, where Jesus engages this woman. So Jesus, wearied, I like that, Jesus, even Jesus got tired from a day's work, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. And about the sixth hour, the sixth hour is high noon because they start their day at, at, at sun up. They go by the sun uh, and it's about high noon in the day. And the woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of water or a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who he it was that is saying this, give me a drink and you, uh, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have anything to draw water with. And the well is deep. Over a hundred feet deep is what archaeologists believe that well is today. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than the father Jacob? He gave this well and drank. So it's kind of this little sarcastic kind of interchange going on here. And are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. And he did his, uh, his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give you will never be thirsty again. The water that I give you will become to you a spring of, uh, of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to her, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, go to your husband. Changes the subject. Quits talking about water, starts talking about her husband. And come here. 
The woman answered. You can imagine her response now. Um, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. That you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Now now she changes the subject on Jesus and starts talking about some debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. Our fathers worshiped um, uh, on this mountain, but but you say, you a Jew, uh, you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, in the hour is coming that neither the mountain nor the Jerusalem will be the worship of the Father. You will worship uh, what you do, uh, not know. We worship uh, what we do know you're, uh, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is here. And the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God seeks out worshipers. I want you to rest on that. I'm not even going to go back there today. I just want you to underscore that. What God wants in life are worshipers. Worship him, must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. To which Jesus simply said, I who speak to you am he. What a story. What a person who's down and out. When you think about the story of this woman unnamed at the well, this Samaritan woman. And, and you, if we just enter into the story long enough to understand the, the, the tension that's going on, you'll understand again the, 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 the bigotry and the, and the hatred and the judgmental spirit that, that she looked at a Jew and a Jew looked at a Samaritan. And there was this true hate that is going on in the story to the point that that Jesus is going to engage her right where she is. And I want to talk about, if you call it rules of engagement, or six ways that we engage the down and out. Number one way that we engage a down and out person, you see it in this story, is that we go out of our way on the way. We go out of our way on the way. Racism is one of the greatest crimes, sins in our society yet still today. You would think after all of these years and after all of these laws and after all this time that you would not see the racism that is still pervading our culture. But it's not just our culture. It is a global problem. We might smell it, feel it, taste it when it's really close to us because of a skin color color difference or because of an ethnicity difference. And we might sense it or feel it whenever somebody thinks differently than us because their worldview is different from us because they were born over there and we're born here and we want them like us because this is America. <laughs> and in our America, we're racist sometimes. That's right, Marcus. But I want you to understand that Jesus erases the races. He erases the bigotry. 
he erases the isolation. He erases the I'm the better than you. Here's a life principle for you. Jesus defines us by who we belong to instead of who we came from. Get it down big, plain, and straight. It's not about... I I didn't even realize that there was a race issue between the Mexicans and the El Salvadorians. But evidently there is. And we can see it in the news today between whites and blacks and blacks and whites and people from this side of the track and people from that side of the track and people who are educated and uneducated and even gender, if you will. But when you look at Jesus, he said there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are defined by who we belong to, not who we're from, if you're a follower of Jesus. 400 years prior to Jesus ever walking into that Samaritan city of Sychar, he walks into a seedbed of racism that had been brewing for 400 years that date back to the time of the exile. When the Assyrians had come in, came in and they took part of the Jews over here and they intermixed them with the Assyrians and they, then they imported Assyrians into this area of, of Palestine or Israel and they started intermarrying, intermarrying with, uh, the, uh, with the Jewish people that remained and a natural thing began to happen and no longer were they purebred Jews. Now they were considered half dogs because they were Assyrians of the past and they were Jews, still they were men are mingling together. And if you were a purebred Jew, you would never drink from, eat at the table, associate yourself with that person who is not like you. I say all of that to give you the history that 120 miles is the full length of Israel in biblical times. And from the far, far north Galilee where Jesus spent most of his ministry to the far, far south in Judea where Jerusalem was, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he was going to travel north to Judea, excuse me, to Galilee. And we know for certain that the shortest route between any two points is one straight line. But what a a normal Jew on that day would do would go far, far to the east, cross over the Jordan River so they could avoid going through Samaria because that's the wrong side of the tracks. And they would literally go out of their way to stay out of the way of the Samaritans. But Jesus, while on his way, made sure he passed through Samaria. He says there in scripture that I had to go or I must needs go through. I have to go through Samaria. I've got to be there. I've got to go there because here's one of the things I said a few weeks ago. People who know Jesus go to people who don't know Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He goes out of his way on the way. You guys, you remember you used to do this whenever you were in high school and you got a locker here and the, that significant one that you wanted to always see that had goo goo eyes for, her locker was in another building. What would you do? You would park next to her locker so you could walk through, hopefully to catch just a glimpse of that goddess from heaven. And then you would, you would walk past her and maybe catch her, her perfume. I guess not, they don't wear cologne, but uh, you, you wear, you, you catch her, you brush her, 
you would make sure you, your clone was, uh, was radiant and out. And then you would walk by as many times as you could, even if it was out of the way. But you went out of the way on your way to your next class just because you had to. What if we had to walk across the street? What if we had to make an appointment with somebody just so we could be with them, just so hopefully we'll have the opportunity to share Jesus' love with them? What if we went out of our way on the way? I love it that uh, the Perrys are here with us, and Greg was, a, was an engineer here in northwest Arkansas. He and Debbie were a part of our church for a lot of years and, and, and uh, went over to, to Zambia to, to build trusses for, for the New Day Orphanage. He was a part of one of our, our very first global adventure over there, and he realized on that trip that, hey, I could use my skills as an engineer to actually do something for the kingdom of God beyond myself or beyond North America and Outside of a, a detour to Texas, they found themselves in West Africa. What are they doing there? They're trying to engage people out of their way, on their way. As they're doing what God calls them to do, they have the opportunity to share Jesus with people who are far different than them. You can hang out and get to know Greg and Debbie or reconnect with them after our service. Go out of your way, on the way. Number one, cross barriers to establish bonds. Notice what Jesus does here. He crosses barriers to establish bonds. He cut against the grain. He crosses the barrier of a Samaritan versus a Jew. Okay, that was a barrier number one. A Jew didn't, I have already mentioned that. They didn't associate with each other. He crossed barrier number two, the gender barrier, that, that a male versus a female, that they would even talk and have that kind of level of, a, a, of conversation. There was even Jewish laws that said that a woman who was a Samaritan was considered all unclean 24-7, 365 days. There was a law in the Jewish books. But Jesus, with a Samaritan, with a Samaritan woman, strikes up a conversation to establish a bond. There was the social side of it as well, barrier, that he actually asked her for a drink. It wasn't just a conversation. He literally asked her for a drink. It would have been one thing to just have a conversation, but he goes so far as I want to touch something that you've touched. I'm willing to get close enough to you to allow a little bit of you to rub off on me. I'm not afraid that your Samaritanness might touch my Jewishness. I'm willing to take down a barrier to develop a bond. Who's different than you? I have to watch Lori. Lori's the best at this in our life. We were in a Jewish, I mean, we were in a Muslim culture one time, walking through the, the, the market street. And in this Muslim culture, the men talk to the men and the women talk to the women, and you would have no reason to talk cross gender. And I'm walking on ahead, looking ahead, and while I look back, and Lori's talking to two men. <laughs> She's with me, <laughs> okay? But why was Lori doing that? She was doing that because she wanted to take down a barrier to develop a bond so she could share the love of Jesus with them. And she was risk, willing to risk taboos so that Jesus could be communicated. See, the only labels is not black, white, Jew, Muslim, rich, poor, young, old, whatever. 
The only definition category in Scripture that I can find is John chapter 3, verse 18, which we read it last week. I want you to read it with me this week. John chapter 3, verse 18. Is it going to be on the screen? There it is. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The only thing I can see is I can see believer, unbeliever, saved, lost, Jesus follower, not yet a Jesus follower. I want that to be the only barrier, and I want to cross that barrier so I can develop a bond, so I can have a conversation with the person. Number three, this is where it gets fun, okay? Transition from everyday conversations to Jesus conversations. We can develop bonds sometimes. We can be friendly sometimes. We can high-five people. We can cross the barriers. We can do all that. But it's that transition time that gets a little sticky. But how am I going to talk about uh, talking about this to talking about Jesus? I can talk about spreadsheets and sales and profits and loss. And I can talk about people we need to hire. But I don't know how to go from there to talking about Jesus. And again, what is it? what, what, what we need to realize is that every conversation, listen to this, this is a life Every conversation can become a Jesus conversation. You can do this. And we talk about living sin is that it's showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. So how is it that I can take everyday conversations and make it a Jesus conversation? I can tell you about a time that I went to China. The only time I went to China was a time that I filled out an application to go to China uh, on a cultural exchange trip, a tourism trip. That was, that was the truth. But I'm a Jesus follower, and while I'm there, if I have opportunity, I'm going to share Jesus. Well, because I'm a pastor, and I put that on the application, the consulate in Houston particularly calls me and says, Hey, you're a pastor. You're going to China, Red China, Communist China. You can't share Jesus. You can't do your religious work there. Okay. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going. So I go, and while I'm there, I'm having a cultural exchange with students in classrooms. That's what we were there for. That was okay. That was all legal. So what do I do? I start talking about America. I talk about basketball. They want to know about Michael Jordan. They want to know about all the the super people of, of America, the celebrities of America. And I say, hey, let's talk about our holidays. We like holidays. You like holidays. Let's write all of our holidays up on the board. So we started writing our holidays. Okay, we start January 1, New Year. I know you're different New Year's. Ours is our New Year's. This is what we do on our New Year's, worked all my way down through the, through the key holidays. July 4th was on there. But you know what? There's some other key holidays on here. Let's put this one up here. This is Easter. I'm going to put this one up here. And oh, here's another one. There's Christmas. Oh, y'all know about Christmas? Yeah, we know about Christmas is when you give gifts. Yeah, but oh my, there's so much more to Christmas. Tell us about Christmas. They ask a question. I just told them about Jesus. And what's Easter. Well, let me tell you, since you asked, I told them about how Jesus Christ came, lived, and died and rose again so that I could be with Jesus forever. Now, I'm not in jail and I never went to jail. I just took an everyday conversation and made it a Jesus conversation. When you think about it, every conversation that we have can become a Jesus conversation. I got this itty-bitty tattoo on my arm. Now, some of y'all have offended you by doing that. I've wrestled with it. I'm good with it. 
I've had multiple conversations because of that itty-bitty tattoo on my arm. I was in a store recently, just recently, and the retailer asked me as I'm paying, they said, what's that tattoo mean? Because every story, every tattoo has a story. So I, I told them, oh, this is a very important. Now I want you to notice how long this is going to take me. Somebody set the timer, okay? All right, think about it. So oh, let me tell you about a time in my life when I was completely lost. I mean, I was, I was doing my own thing. I was doing my own thing, doing my own way. And I tell you what, I hit bottom. And by the way, there's three people in the store gathered around me now when I start telling this story. And I was completely on my own. And what happened when I got on my own, I landed flat on my face on my own. And I encountered a relationship with Jesus that forever changed me. I don't talk about religion. I'm talking about Jesus came into my life and he became my true north and he's the compass of my life. And he steers my life every day. And I, I have this as a reminder that every day that I live, that when I look down, when I'm making a transaction, when I'm shaking somebody's hand, that no matter what, that Jesus is guiding me every day of my life. And they were speechless. Now, I don't know how long it took me, maybe 90 seconds, but I just told the gospel in 90 seconds. You can do it in every conversation. Why? How does Jesus do it? He talks about water. You can talk about water and make it a Jesus conversation. Look here at verse 7. He just says, hey, can I have some water? Simple conversation. Give me a drink. And then as you know, this exchange happens about the racial divide and all that goes on. Then look at verse 10. Jesus turns it to a God conversation. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, himself, and he would have given you living water. Wow. He just, she just took the conversation and made it a Jesus conversation. Number four, point to Jesus who satisfies our deepest needs. Point to Jesus who satisfies our deepest need. Now, I, he used water. Jesus used living water. I've heard of smart water, Fiji water, but Jesus is selling living water. And it was this living water that's going to make a forever difference in this person's life. And you go to verse 11, and let's just pick up reading there. He says, And the woman said to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. And where do you, where, where do you get this living water, by the way? Keep going, guys. I don't have my Bible open. All right. Are you greater than the father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did his sons and his livestock. She's still talking here. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will come to him, a spring of water, a well up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come to draw water. Now, did she fully understand what he was saying? No. Do you expect them to fully understand? No, you, but you just created this equilibrium. They've just started asking questions. Now you're having a conversation. Now you're having this conversation with them. What's the greatest need in humanity? What is it? Is it water? Is it, is it poverty? Is it world peace? What's the greatest need of you? Is it racism? It's certainly a problem. Talked about that already. Is it the refugee crisis that's going on in our modern day that I believe is 
potentially a modern day holocaust in our own day and age. Our grandchildren are going to ask, hey, they're studying it in the history books. What did we do? What did you do, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa? What did you do for the three million refugees that were displaced in Turkey or the 50,000 that were displaced in Athens? Did you do anything about that? You can tell that's hard on my heart. The greatest need, no matter what we list in this world, the greatest need is a need for Jesus in every soul. Now, here's what I can say, I'm saying. Is that I don't care if they're rich, poor. I don't care if they're all together or they're down and out. You can wake up every morning and know that everybody you talk to, everybody you shake hands with, needs a relationship with Jesus. And with that presupposition going into life, you can go into life knowing that they need that living water. Augustine said it like this, because you made us for yourself, our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Every soul of all humanity needs peace and it's found in Jesus. Number five, God's redemption is more powerful than a person's reputation. Because at this point, they're gonna, if you start talking about a need that they have, They may feel discomfort. They may feel like you're judging them. You're not judging them. You're telling the story of life that Jesus gave you and you're just offering it to them. If they want it, they they take it. The winds of the Spirit blow across them, just encouraging them to follow the winds of the Spirit. But she had a reputation. Jesus turns the conversation and now talking about her sin. He said, "Jesus, Jesus said to her, go and get your husband. And the woman answered, I could just imagine she hung her head in embarrassment and said, I have no husband. What you're saying is right. See, now Jesus is showing his deity. He says, yeah, you're right. The one you have now, yeah, I mean, you had, you've had five. You don't have one. You have five. And only five, the one you're with right now, you're living in an adulterous relationship. Wow. Did he shame her? No, not shame her. Again, the winds of the Spirit sometimes convict us, sometimes they comfort us, depending on what we need at that hour in that moment. And some of y'all right now are feeling the wind of the Spirit. Let me just say this. The whole story is God wants to take your story and redeem it. And again, I said the down and out is not your status, it's your season. Because God wants to redeem your story. Whenever, whenever Sarah laughed at God, God heard it. You see, there's none of, none of this catches God's off guard. God was fully aware that she had had five husbands. She was living with a man that wasn't her husband now. But when Sarah laughed, God heard when Achan stole from Jericho and stuck it in the ground, he knew where he had stuck it in the ground. When Jonah ran from God, when he was supposed to go to Nineveh and he went to the belly of the, of the boat, and hid from God going to Tarsus in the other direction, running from God. God knew right where he was in what boat that he was in, where he needed to send the big fish to swallow him up. And the salvation was not, uh, the judgment was not the fish, the salvation was the fish. That's a whole message in itself. When David hid his sin after committing sin and then murder on top of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, He hid from God and he was the king. He could do whatever he wanted to do. When he hid from God and he ended up, God sending his one another brother, Nathan, 
who helped him step into the truth. David wrote these words, and I want you to read them with me. You have set our iniquities before you. Read it with me. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Listen, what we think we're hiding, God sees. Don't see that as a negative. See that as a positive, that God is wanting to reach into that darkness, pull us out of that darkness, set us free from that darkness, shine light into our light so that we can walk in freedom. It's not about our reputation. It's about his redemption in our life if we allow him to do his work in us. A verse that has kept me on the straight and narrow from time to time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's face. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of the one to whom I must give an account. When I know that nothing is hidden from his face. See, don't allow your reputation to be your story. Allow it to be a season. Let God mark us as redeemed. Don't let our down and out mark us. Let his work happen in us. God should define us. We might live the rest of our life with a limp because of that, but let him be the the muscle, the story behind our limp and not the cause of our limp. Think about that. James Montgomery Boyce said it like this, at great contrast, the point of the stories, John chapter 3, John chapter 4, the point of the stories is that both man and woman needed the gospel and were welcomed to it. If Nicodemus is an example of the truth that one cannot rise so high that he's above salvation, And the woman is an example of the truth that none can sink too low. Whether you are on this end of the spectrum or on this end of the spectrum, you must be born again. The winds of the Spirit are blowing. Have you experienced the life-giving water of Jesus? So again, as I wrap up, I want you to see that we're going to wrap it up actually in the next couple of weeks because we're going to stay in John chapter 4 for the next couple of weeks. In fact, we're going to tie John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 even tighter together next week in a very practical way so you won't want to miss that. But then we're going to come back and talk about the rest of John chapter 4 and how it all plays out the next week. But here's number six. You've got to keep it about Jesus. What she does whenever she's confronted with her sin is she starts diverting into religious talk and chatter. There's so many people that when I talk to them and they find out I'm a follower of Christ or whatever, then they start backpedaling their conversations. They start checking, oh, I just said that wordy dirt. Uh, What am I going to do now? You know, just be yourself and keep it about Jesus. She starts talking about, do you worship on this mountain or that mountain? Where do I worship? No, no, no. He answers it, but he comes right back to who the the real story is. The real main event of the story is verse 25 and verse 26. Whenever she says, hey, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. Not realizing she's talking to him. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. 
And Jesus just said, I, I'm him. I'm him. We'll save the rest of the story for later. But I always want you to hear this today. Some of y'all are looking, looking, searching, 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 searching. Quit searching. Jesus is the one you're looking for. Jesus is the one. When you're sharing the gospel with people, you can talk about all kinds of things, but if they don't come back to Jesus and Jesus alone, it really doesn't matter what we're talking about. We can talk about living a better life. We can talk about happier marriages. We can talk about a happier life, a healthier life. But listen, if we don't get back to Jesus, we're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as it sinks. We've got to bring it back to Jesus. What is Jesus to you? Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to have a prayer time and we have deacons and deacon spouses and pastors and pastor spouses around the room. They're my prayer partners, people I go to. Randy, would you come up here with me and be in the front? And they're going to be around. They're available for you to pray with. And um, if you need to know a relationship with Jesus and you're not there yet, now's the time. Father God, this is your place. We're your people. Do your great work here. Let your spirit blow. And may we say yes.